Well, today we have come to recognize and honor our graduates. It has been some time since I've had the privilege of speaking to graduates, but Philip asked me if I would, and I am honored to do so. I remember some years ago I was delivering a commencement address to graduates. I was sitting on the platform next to the superintendent. I leaned over to him and said, how long should I take? And he said, take as long as you like, but we leave at 12. <laughs> I will try to be finished before you are, though I am not optimistic that will actually happen. In preparation for this, I, I went to Google and looked at the internet to find out what was going on with students today. And uh, there are some things that struck me, one is it said that 1.2 million high school students will drop out of school this year. That's 7,000 a day. I read that 2 million college-age girls will become pregnant this year. 42% of those will end with an abortion. The second most common cause of death among college students is suicide. As I read some of this information and I thought about our own students, I thought, we have the finest students in the world. I mean, I truly love them. I had the opportunity, Rob asked me to speak with the uh, college students last Sunday night. We have some of the finest college students and high school students of any church anywhere in the world. Now, I know that upon saying that, that some of you would say, well, but you're biased. I learned a long time ago that it is possible to be biased and accurate simultaneously. <laughs> I think we have the finest students anywhere. One of the things about you that I like, and I, I love young people, uh, is that they are in transition. You are moving from one stage of life to another, and, and you never arrive. I know that you think you do. When I get here, then I have arrived. You never arrive. You're always in transition. I'm in transition. I'm going from adulthood to old age. I'm trying to figure that out. And, and you're in transition as well. So one of the things about them is that they are transitioning. Something else I like about young people is that they're curious. That helps with learning. It can be dangerous, however, in that you can end up on a road you never intended to take. One thing I like about young people is that they're honest. Studies have shown that they are honest and they want us to be honest with them. I really believe that. Probably my favorite characteristic, however, is their loyalty. They are loyal, and I value that. I want to take a few minutes today, and I hope that you'll pay attention. I hope that God speaks to you. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. If you have your Bible, look there. If you don't, get one in front of the pew, because I want you to look at this with me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. 
There's some questions I want you to consider with me today. The first is the question of identity. Who are you? Not your name. Who are you? I think that it is critically important that you satisfy the question of identity. Now Moses did that. Moses was born a Jew. In Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi and the woman conceived and bore a son. Now you recall that Moses was born, Pharaoh gave a decree that all the male Hebrew children were to be killed. The parents looked at Moses, they concluded that he was special to God, they decided they were not going to follow the decree of Pharaoh, they took him instead, put him in the Nile. As time went on, Pharaoh's daughter came by, she heard him crying, she took him home and raised him as her own child. So Moses then was born a Jew. He was raised an Egyptian. And there came a time in his life when he had to decide who he was. Who am I? Born a Jew, raised an Egyptian. Would he decide to remain as a part of Egypt's royalty or would he become a Jewish slave? You notice there in verse number 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So there goes the royalty. Verse 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So Moses then said, I'm a Jew. And he chose to live as a Jew. He settled his identity. Jesus also had to deal with identity. And there was always some question, some confusion about Jesus. And that's understandable. Who was he? Well, he asked his disciples on one occasion. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, there are those who say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. Jesus then turned to them and said, but who do you say that I am? You see, the truth is they were confused somewhat about Jesus and his identity. They had heard him speak. They had witnessed the miracles. All of those things, who was this man? They were somewhat confused because he was an enigma to them. There was a time when they were in a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. There was a storm came up. He calmed the sea with his words. And the Bible says, the disciples said, Who is this man that even the waves obey? Who is this? Who is Jesus? So there was a question concerning his identity with, uh, with the disciples, even in his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up. They had heard the stories about Jesus. They had heard about the miracles. They had heard about his teaching. And their response concerning Jesus was, isn't, isn't this Joseph's boy? Isn't, isn't this Joseph's son who grew up here? And I'm hearing all these things. So there was questions about his identity. Jesus, I think, also struggled with his identity. He knew who he was. His first recorded words were, know you not that I must be about my father's business. So he knew who he was. But there was a struggle at times. And, and that's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. It was the struggle. 
and it was a struggle of identity. You recall that Jesus went through this intense struggle while he was in Gethsemane as he prayed and he said, Father, if there is some way to remove this cup, then let this cup pass from me. But then he settled it when he says, but not my will, thine be done. He embraced his identity. Graduates, you must settle the question of your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Because my guess is that some of you are pretending to be something that you're not. Some of you possibly are pretending to be saved when you're really not. Your parents think you are. Your teacher thinks you are. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you're not, that you really don't have a relationship to Jesus Christ. You're religious, but not righteous. You're a Baptist, or a Methodist, or a Presbyterian, or whatever brand you want to wear. But the only one that really counts is Christian. That you know Jesus Christ as Savior. My guess is some of you are pretending to be Christian when you're not. My guess is some of you are Christians. And you're pretending not to be. That was Peter. Peter knew the Lord, but he also denied that he knew the Lord. Let me encourage you today to embrace who you are. And I would encourage you to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and then embrace the life that He offers to you. You see, you were created by God. He created. Before this world was formed, He had you in mind. God created you. And He provided for your salvation. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid for all of your sins and all of my sins. He paid for them. That He might provide for us salvation by His grace. He satisfied the debt that we owed when he died on the cross. If you're saved, don't be ashamed of him. Embrace him. One of the things that uh, I, I received, uh, I was given a book this morning that Ainsley Earhart had sent to me. It's her testimony, her book. I'm going to read it. One of the things I admire so much about her is that she is in the position that she is in on national television, but she boldly proclaims her faith in Christ. Do that. Don't be ashamed of the Lord, and, and, and don't be ashamed of His church. Embrace it. Now, let me tell you, there, and I know that there are a lot of groups that you can get in. There's no group that's going to love you more than the Lord's church. There is no group of people who will pray more diligently for you than the church. Every Sunday morning there are some deacons who come to my office and they pray for me and for the service. And this morning when they came in they prayed for you. They spent time praying for you as graduates and for your future. You're unique. God created you unique. And there's no one else like you. We're a bunch of mixed nuts. I mean, there's no one's, no one's the same. Some of you like to wear suits and ties. Some of you don't. Some of you like this music. Some of you like that music. Doesn't make any difference. I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying we're different. That God has made you. And he has made you who you are to glorify him in all that you do. So there's a question of identity. 
Embrace who you are that God has made you and desires a relationship with you. Second thing is a question of responsibility. In verse number 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You see, growing up requires an acceptance of responsibility, and responsibility is a sign of maturity. Did you notice in verse 24, it says of Moses, when he had grown up, when he had grown up. You see, children are immature. Children blame others for their failure, for the things they do that are wrong. Well, she hit me, she, she hit me first. There's always, there's always someone else, and they rationalize their failure by saying, well, life is not fair, or this happened to me, or that teacher didn't warn me, or something happened, but someone else is always at fault. That's a child. You fail to fulfill the responsibilities that are given to you, the chores that are assigned to you, and then wonder, why don't they treat me like an adult? Maturity means that I accept responsibility for who I am and for my actions. I am responsible. Not someone else. I am responsible. Now, Moses went through a process to maturity and so do you. You know, you, you don't take a pill and all of a sudden you're mature. I mean, look, if, if we had one, we would give it to Philip because he has never gotten there. It's a process that you go through, and I see it here with, with Moses. Look at verse number 24. It says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. All right, see, he refused then the allures of Egypt. Verse number 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. So he chose the things of God. So he rejected what Egypt offered and he chose the things of God. How did he do that? Verse number 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The word of considering that is used there is an accounting word. It means to calculate, to compare. You see that? To calculate, to compare. It's smart to compare your options. I don't think it's unspiritual. I know that there are those who would probably present it that way. I don't think it's unspiritual at all. I think it's smart to compare honestly. That's what Elijah said when Elijah stood before the people of Israel. He said, uh, choose you this day whom you'll serve. If God be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. But you ought to decide, you ought to compare. Paul said when he compared the world with Christ, the world came out as garbage in comparison. So there's the question of responsibility. Maturity is a process. Then there's the question of priorities. Verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Choose the right things, but also determine proper priorities. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, when Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom, not just seek his kingdom. See, if you're a child of God, you understand that you seek his kingdom. But what he said was, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added to you. Let me ask you a question, and I, I, I address the graduates, but I hope all of you will consider it. What takes priority in your life? Hmm? What is priority in your life? Because Satan will tempt you with worldly position, and certainly he must have Moses' position. He would be the successor of Pharaoh. So certainly he was tempted with that. There's not anything wrong with position or desiring position, but it ought not be the priority of your life. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with position. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, again the devil took him to a very high mountain. And this is Jesus, took him to a very high mountain. And showed him what? All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will I give to you if you fall down and worship me. Satan will tempt you with worldly position. One of the sad things to me is that there are so many of the stars and the singers and all of that in the world that actually began in the church. Britney Spears, there are others that, uh, Miley Cyrus, I, I know someone who knew her when she was a little girl and went to church. And, and I think about all of these kids who grew up in the church and then they were tempted with position and then they left the things of God to follow the things of the world. Satan will tempt you with that. There's nothing wrong with position but it must not take priority over God. He will tempt you with worldly pleasure. And Moses was offered the pleasures of Egypt, all the pleasures of Egypt. There, let me tell you, there are two kinds of pleasure in the world. And, and uh, the first is the world's pleasure. There's pleasure in sin. If there were not, there would be no temptation. There's pleasure in sin. And so there's the world's pleasure, but what I want you to know is that there is the pleasure that comes from God. The Bible says in Psalm 16, 11, in thy right hand, in thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. You may tell you the pleasures of God, it's forgiveness of sin, satisfaction of heart, abundance of life, peace. Well, I, I hope that you live your life in such a way that uh, years from now that you're satisfied with it. I had two or three weeks ago, there was a pastor from Mississippi who called me. He said, uh, you don't know me and I don't know you. He said, but I read that you had been pastor of the church there for 31 years. He said, so I, I wanted to ask you a question about it. I said, okay. He said, how do you do that? He said, that must really be hard to stay someplace for 31 years? I said, it really isn't. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, are you married? He said, yes. I said, how long have you been married? I think he said 15 years or something. I said, I've been married 15 years. I said, I've been married for nearly 55. Is it hard for me to stay married? No, I, the truth is, I love my wife more today than I ever have. But that is the satisfaction that comes from a genuine relationship. I love this church 
more today than ever before. No, it isn't hard. When it's a relationship of love, that you love someone, it isn't a struggle. It is easier today than it was in the past because I love more today than I did in the past. Satan will tempt you with worldly position. He will tempt you with worldly pleasure. And he will tempt you with worldly possessions. And there's not anything wrong with them. But understand this. Concerning possessions, they are temporary. Whatever you have, you only have temporarily. And they are not satisfying because you're always going to want more. So they will never satisfy you. There's a question of perseverance, verse number 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Not everyone liked Moses. I mean, we like Moses, but not everyone liked him. The Egyptians disdained him because he had rejected them. He had been raised in the palace, and now he turned away from that. They disdained him. The Jews rejected him. In fact, when he had killed the Egyptians, they used that against him. When he was trying to lead them in the wilderness, they constantly complained, but he endured. You see that? It wasn't easy, but he endured. Jesus persevered. He was blasphemed. Even one of the thieves on the cross turned to Jesus. While they both are dying and said to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, come down and save yourself and us too. He blasphemed Jesus. Jesus was beaten, he was spat upon, he was mocked, and he was crucified, but he persevered. From the cross he cried out, it is finished. He finished the work that the Father had given him to do. He endured. Paul said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Students, I am encouraging you to endure. How do you do that? How, how, how do you make it all the way through? I mean, you, you high school students, you're going to go into college. How are you going to come out on the other side committed to Christ? College students, you're going to go into the workforce and all those things you're going to do. You're going to get married. All of those things that your parents have done. How are you going to make it through? How are you going to endure? How do you do it? Well, I would say, first of all, that you honestly compare. Honestly compare. The life that God offers with the life that Satan offers. Honestly compare. Make a decision. Who will you follow? If God be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. Who will you follow? Persevere. Never quit. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what your friends do, no matter the temptations you face, Never compromise, never quit. Endure. He endured. I conclude by asking that you consider four questions. Who are you? You have to make a decision about your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Two, what do you want to be? Moses had to decide between Pharaoh's son and a Hebrew slave. I don't know what you have to decide between, but what do you want to be? Three, what is important? What's important to you? 
Because no matter what you choose, there's going to be a price to pay. Four, how will you live? How will you live your life? Moses lived not fearing this world, but with his eyes fixed on God. How will you live your life? On the night of his graduation from medical college, Dr. Howard Kelly, a world-famed surgeon and gynecologist, wrote in his diary, I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambition, everything to him. Blessed Lord, sanctify me to thy uses. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. I hope that's your prayer. Lord, don't allow me to pursue any endeavor, to focus on any issue, to make any decision that does not lead me nearer to you. I challenge you to do that. Compare. You want to follow after the world? You follow after the Lord Jesus. That's your decision. Our Father in God, I come and lift up to you these who are graduating. And I thank you for them, for all the potential that you have placed within them, the opportunities that you are going to provide for them. Father, I pray that in all that they do, that they will make the commitment to Christ, that they will follow after you and not allow anything to deter them. Pray that you'll make them strong. I, I don't ask, Lord, that you make the circumstances less for them, the challenges less, but I pray, Father, that you'll make them stronger as they walk with the anointing that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Use these, raise up these to make a difference in our world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I would encourage you to commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. If you'd just like to come and pray and say, I'm gonna commit myself to the Lord. I'm gonna commit myself to him. Then you just come and pray. Stand with me, please, as we stand, they sing. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. Christ is